Canto Two of Gawain and the Green Knight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jerome Lawson. March 2008. Gawain and the Green Knight. A Fairy Tale. By Charlton Minor Lewis. Canto Two. Elfenheart. In Canto One, I followed the old rule. We learned from Horace when we went to school, and took a headlong plunge in Medius Rees, as Mero did, and blind Menides. And now, still following the ancient mode, I come to the time-honored episode. Retrace my way some twenty years or more, and tell you what I should have told before. It seems an awkward method, but it's art. Besides, it brings us back to Elfenheart. In those dark days before King Arthur came, when Britain was laid waste with sword and flame, when cutthroats lurked behind the blossoming thorn, and young maids cursed the day when they were born, a lady, widowed in one hideous night, fled over heath and hill, and in her flight, came to the magic willow woods that stand, beside the murmuring mere, in fairyland. And there, untimely, by the forest side, Clasping her infant in her arms, she died. Yet not all friendless, for such mortal throes Pass not unpitied, though no mortal knows. The spirits that infest the clearer air Look down upon the innocent lady there, While troops of fairies smoothed her mossy bed, And with sweet balsam pillowed her fair head. Her dim eyes could not see them, but she guessed, Whose gentle ministrations thus had blessed, Her travail, and when pitying fairies laid, Upon her heart the child, a blue-eyed maid, Ere yet her troubled spirit might depart. With one last word she named her, Elfenheart. So with new quickened love the fairy elves Took the forlorn child maiden to themselves, And reared her in the wild wood, Where no jar, of alien discord, Echoing from afar, Broke the sweet forest murmur, Long years round, Her ears attuned to every woodland sound, translated to her soul the great world's voice, and the world spirit made her heart rejoice. And love was hers, perennial, intense, the love that wells from joy and innocence, and sanctifies the cloistered heart of youth, the love of love, of beauty, and of truth. So Elfenheart grew up, each passing year, of forest life beside the murmuring mere, enriched tenfold the natural dower of grace, that shone from the pure spirit in her face. I cannot tell why each revolving season enhanced her beauty thus. Some say the reason was in the stars. I think those luminaries had less to do with it than had the fairies. The more they found of grace in her, the more their silent influence added to her store. For they were always with her, they and she, still bore each other loving company. And yet one further virtue, not the least, Of those that make life lovable, increased, In Elfenheart's sweet nature from her birth, By fairy tutelage, and that was mirth. For fairy natures are compounded all, Of whimsies and of freaks fantastical. And what the best of fairies loves the best, Except pure kindness, is an artless jest. And so wise men have argued, on the whole, That the misguided creatures have no soul, but as for me, if the bright fairy elf has none, I'll get along without, myself. 
these fairies laughed and danced and sang sweet songs, and did all else that to their craft belongs. All tricks and pranks of whole-souled jollity, that make life merry neath the greenwood tree. The youngest of them childishly beguiled, the time when Elfenheart was still a child. They pinched her fingers, and they pulled her ears, or sometimes, when her blue eyes dreamed of tears, half-smothered her with flowers of four-leafed clover, then fled for refuge to some sweet fern cover. But she pursued them through their tangled lair, and caught them, and put fireflies in their hair. And then they all joined hands, and round and round they danced to Morris on the moonlit ground. The years went by, and Elfenheart outgrew, the madcap antics of the younger crew. For fairies age but slowly, don't forget, that at two hundred they are children yet. But still she frolicked with them, though scarce of them, and learned each year more tenderly to love them. But most of all she loved with all her heart, on quiet summer nights to walk apart, and hold close converse with the fairy's queen, a radiant maiden princess who had seen some twenty centuries of revolving suns pass over fairyland, all golden ones. Sometimes they sat in the mild moon's light, where chestnut blooms made sweet the breath of night, and talked of the great world beyond the wood, of death, or sin, or sorrow, understood of neither, till the twinkling stars were gone, and bustling Chanticleer proclaimed the dawn. And Elfenheart grew wise in fairy learning, but by degrees a half-unconscious yearning, for humankind stirred in her gentle heart, and woke a deep desire to bear her part, of love and sorrow in the larger life, as sister, helper, nay, perhaps as wife. For such vague instincts, after all, are human, and Elfenheart herself was but a woman. And yet, for all this new desire, I doubt, if Elfenheart would ever have spoken out, and told the fairies of her wish to leave them, a wish her conscious heart well knew would grieve them, if in the ripening of her silent thought a still voice had not whispered that she ought to leave that world of love and mirth and beauty, to share man's burden in the world of duty. There's anticlimax for you, most provoking, just when you thought that I was only joking, or idly fingering the poet's laurel, to find my story threatens to be moral. But as for morals, though in verse we scout them, in life we somehow can't get on without them. So if I don't insert a moral distich, once in a while, I can't be realistic. And in this tale, I solemnly aver, my one wish is to tell things as they were. But not all things. Time flies, and art is long, and I must hurry onward with my song. How Elfenheart at last told what she wanted, and what the fairy said, please take for granted. She prayed, they yielded, Elfenheart full loath, to leave as they let her go, but both, agreeing that this bitter thing must be, for they were fairies, and a mortal she. But ere they yielded, they made imposition, of what then seemed to her a light condition. T'was done in kindness, be it understood, with fairy foresight for the maiden's good. The elf-queen spoke for all. Dear Elfenheart, we bind you to one promise ere we part. We fear not from men's malice, hate, or wrath, and every evil thing will shun your path, and sunshine will go with you when you move. The only danger that we dread is love. If in the after-days when suitors woo you, 
your heart makes choice of one, as dearest to you. Before you put your hand in his, alone, the sacred trust reserved for him alone. Let us make trial of him, and approve. His virtue, his manhood, and his love. Send him to us, and if he bears the test, and if we find him worthy to be blessed, with love like yours, be sure we will befriend him, and may a lifelong happiness attend him. But if he prove a traitor, or faint-hearted, or if his love and he are lightly parted, in the deep willow woods he shall remain, and never look upon your face again. The maiden, fancy-free, was well content, and with light laughter gave her full consent. For when maids think of love, as maidens do, it seems a far-off thing, and well she knew, her lover, if she loved, would be both brave and true. Not long thereafter came an errant band, riding along the edge of fairyland, stout men-at-arms, without reproach or spot, and in the lead the bold Sir Lancelot. He, riding on a head, silent, alone, was stopped by a beseeching ancient crone, who hobbled to his side, as if in pain, and clutched with palsied fingers at his rein. And there behind her, from the leafage green, the sweetest eyes his eyes had ever seen, were gazing at him with wide wonderment, not bold nor fearful, innocence unshent, shone from their blue depths, and old dreams awoke, in Lancelot's breast, while thus the beldame spoke, A boon, a boon, Sir Lancelot of the lake, I pray you of your courtesy to take, this damsel to the king, her enemies, has spoiled her of her birthright, and she flees, an innocent outcast from her wasted lands, to lay her life and fortune in his hands. She spoke, and vanished in the woodland shade. Then Lancelot, leaning over, helped the maid, to mount behind, and at an easy trot, they and the troop rode on to Camelot. He asked no questions, for some fairy spell made light his heart, and told him all was well. And as these two rode through the land together, by dappled greenwood shade and sunlit heather, her soft voice in his ears, the innocent charm of her light steady touch upon his arm, wrought magic in his soul. That day, I ween, Sir Lancelot well-nigh forgot his queen. And Elfenheart, you knew those eyes were hers, laughed with the silvery jingle of his spurs, and from her heart the new world's rapture drove, all thought of fairyland, excepting love. And so to high-towered Camelot they came, the golden city, now a shadowy name, for over heath-clad hills the wild winds blow, where Arthur's halls, a thousand years ago, bright with all far-fetched gems of curious art, shone brighter with the eyes of Elfenheart. She came to Camelot, the king receives her, and there for five glad years my story leaves her. Five glad years, and this episode is done, and we are back again at Canto One. I write of merry jest and greenwood shade, but tales of chivalry are not my trade. So if you wish to read that five years story, of lady love, romance, and martial glory, the mighty feats of arms that Gawain did, the ever-ripening love that Gawain hid, five long years in his breast, biding his time, go seek it in some abler poet's rhyme. My tale begins with the young knight's brave soul, all elven hearts. She thinks herself heart whole. But at that Christmas feast, in Arthur's hall, 
with night's soft mantle folded over all. The magic influence of the evening tide stole on their two hearts beating side by side, and Gawain talked of troubles long ago, when each man's neighbor was his dearest foe, and of the trials he himself had passed, and the high purpose that from first to last had been his stay and spur, he scarce knew how, since on Excalibur he took the vow. He told of his own hopes for future days, and how he wrought and fought not for men's praise, though like all good men Gawain held that dear. Yet trusting, when men laid him on his bier, they might remember, as they gathered round it, he left this good world better than he found it. He talked as true men seldom talk, unless, swayed utterly by some pure passion's stress, and ever gently, though with heart on fire, still hovered nearer to his soul's desire. An elfin heart in gravest silence listened, but her sweet heart beat high, her blue eyes glistened. For as he bared his soul to her she dreamed, a daydream strange and new, wherein it seemed, that in that soul's clear depth she saw her own, and his most secret thought, till then unknown, seemed hers eternally. He spoke of death, and then her heart shrank, and she drew deep breath. Suddenly, ere she understood at all, what new life dawned before her, came the call, of fairy horns, and so the green knight burst, upon the scene, as told in Canto First. One jarring note, the tuneful chords among, may make mad discord of the sweetest song. Even so with dissonant clamor through the breast, of Gawain rang the green knight's merry jest. But what wild meaning must it not impart to the vague fears of gentle elfin heart? For she had heard in the first trumpet blast a signal to her from the far-gone past. And now, of all the things that had been, her half-forgotten compact with the queen flushed through her memory, and a swift thought came, like sudden fear, a thought without a name, an unvoiced question, and a blind alarm, and in sheer helplessness she reached an arm. Toward Gawain, scarcely knowing what she would, her eyes beheld him, and she understood. And is it Gawain? He? Yes, Elfenheart. The hour is come, and you must play your part. So now it's all explained, and I intend to go straight onward to the story's end. Sir Gawain had cut off the Green Knight's head, and Arthur and his court had gone to bed. In the great hall the dying ember shone, with a faint ghostly gleam, and there, alone, while all the rest of Camelot was sleeping, in the dark alcove, Elfenheart lay weeping. But as she lay there, all about her head, there fell a checkered beam of moonlight, shed, through the barred casement, as she faintly stirred, for in her troubled soul it seemed she heard, vague music from some region far away. She raised her head, and turning where she lay, saw in the silver moonlight the serene and tranquil beauty of the fairy queen. We sent before you called us, Elfenheart, for love lent keener magic to our art, and warned us of the thoughts that in your breast awoke new rapture, trembling unconfessed. And Elfenheart moved closer to her knees, and hid her face in the white draperies that veiled the fairy form, till, nestling there, her heart recovered from that blank despair, and whispered her that whatsoever befell, love ruled the world, and all would yet be well. And the good fairy stroked the maiden's head, 
and kissed her tear-starred eyes, and smiling said, Fie on you women's hearts! Consistency! Hides a shamed head where mortal women be. True love breeds faith and trust. It makes hearts strong. The heart's anointed king can do no wrong. And yet you weep as if you fear to prove him. Upon my word, I don't believe you love him. And Elfenheart replied, Laugh if you will, my queen, but let me be a woman still. You fairies love, where love is wise and just. We mortal women love because we must. And if I fear to prove him, I confess. I fear I still must love him none the less. She paused, for once again her eyes grew dim. Think you I love his virtues? I love him. But yet you judged me wrongly, for believe me, and then laugh once again, and so forgive me. If at the first I feared what you might do, my doubts were not of Gawain, but of you. And so both laughed, and for a little space, folded each other in a glad embrace. For fairies, bathed the whole year round in bliss, may yet be gladdened by a fair maid's kiss. And Elfenheart spoke on, Do what you will, I trust you with my all, and fear no ill. But, O oh, my friend, to wait the long, long year, to keep my heart in silence, not to hear, the words my whole soul hungers for, nor to say, one syllable to brighten his dark day. Must it be so, my queen? And how long shall I, school eyes and lips to act this year-long lie? From the dear teacher guardian of my youth, the only ways I learned were ways of truth. I tried my skill this night, and learned to know that there are deeps below the deeps of woe. Hearts may be bruised and broken, yet still live. The wounds that kill us are the wounds we give. And so these two talked on, until the night began to shiver with the grey dawn's light. And in the deep-dyed casement they might see new life flush through old dreams of chivalry. And then they parted. What the queen had said, I know not, but the lady, comforted, bade farewell with calm voice and tranquil eyes, and saw with newborn strength the new sun rise. Perhaps in fairyland there chanced to be, for them that grieve some sovereign alchemy, to turn the worst to best, and the good queen applied the soothing balm. Such things have been. But yet I doubt if any fairy art was needed in the case of Elfenheart, the medicine that charmed away her dole nature had planted in her own sweet soul. Of all sure things, this thing I'm surest of, that the best cure for love's own ills is love. End of Canto 2 Recording by Jerome Lawson March 2008